Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When you are looking at this context of this portion of Scripture in the armor of God, uh, Paul is helping the church to understand that the hour and the day in which they are living is a very evil day. It is a very wicked day. And so in a wicked day and an evil day, it's very easy for our flesh to lean towards certain emotions, certain panics, certain fears, worries, and anxieties when you see a flood. When the enemy's coming in like a flood, sometimes you want to retreat, you want to run, you want to uh, get as far away from danger as you can possible. But that's not the instruction that the Lord gave the Apostle Paul to speak to the church. He didn't say, we're living in an evil day, so we need to live in a cave. We're living in an evil day, so we need to run the opposite direction. No, he says this day is evil, but we need to be prepared for it. We need to suit up for it. Another interesting point, and we're going to get into our handout here, is the fact that as he's closing out that with the last two verses, verse 19 and 20, he says, I need prayer. It's not just the church that needs prayer, you know, the, the, the saints and the various ministries of the church. He says, you know, I'm trying to do something in this evil day. And in this evil day, everything is coming against me to keep my mouth closed. And so we've got to recognize that, that, you know, wherever you find yourself, that the evil day is always trying to keep the ministry's mouth closed so it doesn't speak as it ought to speak. And so it's important that we recognize that there's always going to be an effort of the enemy to subdue and silence the spoken word. The spoken word is the most powerful thing that we have. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so if fear can get into the church and if fear can get into the ministry, then we are not as bold to be able to speak the word of faith that God has put inside of us. We mentioned this, I think it was two weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago. Uh, Times just kind of doesn't make sense anymore these days. Um, but from what I recall, I think it was two weeks ago when we talked about the helmet of salvation, uh, what I really felt clear that God impressed on my heart, and, and as we were just kind of talking about this, this season that we're in, 
the COVID-19 coronavirus. And, you know, there's not very moments in history, many moments in history where the globe is united around the same theme and the same topic. So we are living in a very unique time or a rare time. And it is an opportune time when a world is united. But as this world is united, we've got to make sure that we are going the right direction and not just simply doing what everyone else is doing. But this church, we've, uh, we've been as responsible as we can, uh, and we've, we've complied as much as we can. We're participating. We're not trying to be wild and reckless and try to prove any point. We had online services for, what, a month, month and a half, something like that, trying to be sensitive to the Lord, what God is saying for us to do, because we want to be spirit-led, not flesh-led. And so our flesh will try to drive us to do certain things, certain tendencies, but we want to be led by the Spirit. And so we're just kind of just talking about it's, it's, it's good to take all those precautions to, to, you know, sneeze into your arm, wash your hands. We don't mock, make fun of that. In fact, I'm thankful for this COVID era because uh, as I've been traveling these past three weeks, I was uh, in Houston three weeks ago, Chicago last week, and then uh, Florida this past week in, in, in going places ministering. I saw something that I've never seen in my entire life. As I went to the bathroom, there are men washing their hands. And so I am very grateful what this season has done for the male population in the world. And so miracles still happen in this day and age. But with that being said, uh, I, I should have made, I've, I've taken some pictures of some things that have made me just, uh, I don't know, kind of smile a little bit behind my mask. Because when you're in the airplane, you gotta, you got to wear the mask. And, uh, the, and it, it's, it really is a culture shock for me because I've, I've been blessed to live in South Dakota where we haven't had to do these things. Uh, they've just been recommended, and I'm thankful that South Dakota basically is social distance personified. And so we have, um, as I've been going places, I'm, I'm basically just getting a taste of what people have been going through for however long a period of time since March, February, depends what state, and, and their uh, different guidelines and restrictions. But what I mentioned two weeks ago is while you're putting on the mask and while you're putting on the gloves and, and at the airport, I've, I literally, I, I see people walk around with rain jackets. I have this picture of this man on, on the plane yesterday, and I was very discreet. I wasn't, you know, like in his face. But, I mean, he had a full-fledged hazmat suit, and that's fine. He had the goggles, the mask, uh, the shield, and all that kind of stuff. And that's fantastic because you, you could do whatever you want. If you want to protect yourself to that degree, absolutely. Maybe he has some very extreme underlying conditions. So I don't mock that. I don't insult that. That's his prerogative. But as I mentioned to the church, as we are putting our mask on, as we're putting gloves on, we cannot let that be a substitute for the shield of faith. You cannot put your face mask on and forget to put on your helmet of salvation. And that's the problem is when we redirect our focus and we focus on flesh protection instead of engaging in the spiritual world that we live in because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And as we read here in Ephesians chapter 6, that what we wrestle, what we face in verse 12 is not flesh and blood. But right now the world's focus is on flesh and blood. And if flesh and blood is the focus, then fear has an avenue to come in. It's, there's nothing wrong with taking precautions with safety measures, but when precautions and safety measures is your mantra, and that is your day-to-day routine, then there is a foot in the door for fear to creep in and all of a sudden get a, 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 a 
a root in there, if you get a seed planted in there, and then it becomes something more than what it, uh, you ever meant it to be. And that's what I discovered as I, I've ministered at these churches and events the past few weeks, that the place would be you know, filled, and you would think that there would just be a surge of faith and this, this intensity, but really people are, are nervous. They, they want to be there. They want to be in the house of God. They're excited to be there, but you still sense the fear and the worry and the anxiety and that is not the will of God for us to live in a spirit of fear. I'm not saying that you've got to be reckless and crazy, but we also need to make sure that we put on the armor of God. And so as I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, we're going to be going through the armor of God, uh, and we're going to start today in your handout about the, our loins being girt about with truth. But I will say this is just interesting, um, and I'm not trying to be on a soapbox or anything like that, but is I basically I've I, I've been grounded for three months and finally I'm not grounded anymore, and so I've, I've been as I've been talking to ministers and pastors. There's something interesting about uh, this this sickness uh, that I again I'm only 36 years old, so I don't know everything. I haven't seen everything, but in my short tenure of time, I've 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 noticed this about this particular sickness. It's almost as if you if you get the sickness like you sinned. Like you did something morally wrong. And so like as I was talking to these pastors that have gotten it or the ministers in their church that have got the disease or saints in their church have gotten the disease uh, or, and all of a sudden word gets out uh, by surrounding churches and news outlets, all of a sudden it's just this, this, this stigma attaches itself to the church and to the ministry. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm literally, I'm not trying to make beef about anything. It's just an interesting observation that this is transforming into something more than just a sickness. It's turning into something like a moral issue in our world. And that, that is just uh, very concerning to me because uh, I, I, I got to find out what Walmart is doing. I got to find out what Menards are doing because nobody's picketing them and there's no outbreaks happening there. But every outbreak happens to be on the news about the church. Every outbreak has to be something to do with faith. Uh, the, the, just recently in the news, a uh, rather large Pentecostal church in Arkansas, uh, it's an independent church. They, I, I don't even know, it's run over a thousand. It's a big church. And um, they had an outbreak in their church, and it's on the news. And uh, it, it's just amazing that in the capital of Walmart, uh, Walmart didn't get any blame for that. But all the blame got put on the church. And also there's this tremendous pressure on churches and on the ministry. And again, we're not here fighting a fight to prove a point at all. As we recommend, we've been doing our services on, online still as well at our 11 o'clock service. And we recommend if someone's sick, you stay home. If you have underlying conditions, stay home. We're not trying to prove anything. But there's a point where you have to move forward with life. you got to realize something unique is taking place, and our faith has to be in place. Our faith has to be intact. And so um, as we're going to be going through this, uh, just keep, keep this in mind, and we'll get into our Bible study, is God forbid, but just say there's uh, an outbreak that happens in this church. Uh, one, you're, you're, you didn't sin because you got sick. You're not a moral failure because you got this sickness. But you got to be careful what you feed your eyes and your ears because 
when when they project these cases, you know, I, w- I was just in Florida, and so, you know, uh, my mind ticked a little differently because I'm in Florida, right, where in one day they had 4,900 cases. But the way they would announce it, it's as if, like, 4,900 people just got a death sentence on them, when statistically over 99.9% of people recover from this. But you would think you sinned morally. You would think that because you have it, you have a death sentence on you. And so uh, as I was driving down the roads there, there was a five-hour wait at just one of the stations for people to check in for their sickness. And so people are genuinely concerned. They're genuinely worried. And we ought, like I said, not to be reckless. But I hope in all the precautions we take as a church that we put on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the whole armor of God. Amen? And so when we go here, the armor of God begins with this first element, which is our loins girt about with truth, Ephesians 6.14. And I'm sorry if it's microscopic uh, lettering for you. Uh, Maybe I can buy you a magnifying glass, but I don't have one right now for you. But Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. In modern-day vernacular, the equivalent would be a belt. Okay, uh, and the first, this is the first part of the armor of God. It is the belt of truth. And the belt, something just interesting to know, as you go down the armaments of this material, uh, is what's going to hold the sword. And the sword, as we find out, is the word of God. And so that is very important that we start off with truth. Because if we don't start with truth, we will finish lost. You have to have truth. Without truth, we perish. We must have truth as a part of the first thing that we focus on as a church. Second Chronicles 18.15 is a, a unique story, and uh, I always like a story, story with a, a little humor in it. And it is uh, basically uh, pretty much two backslidden kings, and uh, they want to go out to battle. They want to go out to war. And they're not even that great of friends anyways, but uh, they, they want to just team up so they can win a battle. And so uh, they said, well, let's find out what the prophets, the ministry has to say. And so uh, the king basically has hundreds of prophets that basically are paid for prophets. Uh, they, they, they basically preach what he likes to hear. So with all these prophets there preaching what he wanted to hear, the other king asked him, is there any other prophet around that doesn't, uh, just go with the flow. He's not a part of the consensus. And so the king says, yeah, well, there, there is one other prophet, Micaiah, but uh, he never prophesies anything good. But the king says, well, don't say that about this guy. Let's, let's have him come and let him, let him uh, speak a word to us. And so uh, when Micaiah appeared, he basically went along with everyone else. And this is how I know uh, uh, satire and sarcasm is biblical. It is appropriate because this man of God did it. Elijah did it. And uh, you can read a few other instances as well. But uh, they said, oh, go ahead, king. You go, you're going to win the battle. You, you, you do whatever you want, man. God is for you. And that king got mad because he knew that prophet was being sarcastic. He says, how many times have I told you, don't, don't speak anything but the truth, what God tells you. Speak to me. And so he opens up and he speaks the truth to the king. He says, you guys are going to get wiped out. You're going to get annihilated. And God is going to do this because he will cause you to believe a lie. And this is important for us to realize that deception will lead us to destruction. 
If we can believe a lie, we can be damned to hell for eternity. And so we must, we must, we must have the belt of truth be the first thing in our lives. And we're living in an hour where history is just repeating itself. We read Isaiah 59, 14 and Jeremiah 5, 1. That judgment is turned away backward and justice stands far off. That truth is fallen in the street. It doesn't mean that truth is a failure. It just means that truth is what is not allowed to walk freely in the street. It's basically uh, 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 controlled speech. And this type of speech is not permitted in the streets. It's censored speech. And so truth is not prominent. Equity cannot enter. And so he says this in verse 15, that truth faileth him. The person that even makes an attempt to depart from evil makes himself a prey. And that not the hour we're living in right now. You you want to make a stand for truth and righteousness. I was... um. I made a mistake when I was in Florida. I, I literally, I haven't been to a beach in a long time. I mean, 18 years since I went to a beach in Florida. Because when I was lost in the world, I, I went to Panama City, uh, uh, Florida, to to not hand out tracks, okay? I was uh, serving my flesh. I was uh, a senior grad uh, on the way to graduation, and I wanted to party. Well, anyways, I, I wanted, my son w- never been to the Atlantic Ocean. Noah was with me. And so he's always at the Pacific Ocean where it's like freezing cold. But the Atlantic Ocean is nice and warm. So I asked the pastor, is there like a nice pier or boardwalk, you know, we go to? And he goes, yeah, you go to such and such place. Well, anyways, we went, and uh, I don't recommend you ever go there, okay? And so, like, I'm like, oh, my, oh my goodness. And right away, Noah's saying, Dad, well, how come nobody's wearing clothes? I'm like, just, just look down, son. Let's just let's keep going. And so I take him to the waters, and I'm just, like, staring at my feet. And I look like a complete... Uh, probably knucklehead to everyone there that was not wearing anything but their underwear. And uh, I, I had my long sleeve shirt on. I had, you know, my long uh, pants on. And, and so I'm just at the side of the ocean while my son is playing in the water, which is miserable because there's like a whole, uh, like, I don't know, kelp or seaweed or something washing up on the shore. But he was having the time of his life while I am sweating to death, standing on this white sand. And I just, I could feel everyone staring at me. Uh, because I'm in all black. I look like a ninja at the side of the beach with my son. But uh, that's how it feels if you try to make a stance of separation or holiness or, you know, just stand for truth that you just feel those eyes peering in on you. You feel that that look of disdain. And so back in the days of Isaiah, over 2,500 years ago, it says this is where things are headed. In verse 1 of Jeremiah 5, God God basically put forth a challenge to the prophet. It's almost kind of like a challenge that um, uh, uh, I want to say it was Nebuchadnezzar's men, uh, perhaps. Um, but anyways, they, they basically were mocking Hezekiah. And they said, he- Hezekiah, I tell you what, we'll give you, we'll you 20,000 or we'll give you 5,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride them. Like, what an insult. Like, here, here's all these horses, but you won't even have enough men to ride these things. And so now God is almost like, taunting Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is just overwhelmed by the reality that there's the lostness of his, uh, his people. And he says, run to and fro, run through all the streets of Jerusalem, and see if you can find one man that is seeking truth, that is exercising judgment, and I'll pardon it. Just one person, and he could not even find that. So we are in a day where truth is near extinct, as it was in the days of of Isaiah and Jeremiah. 
In their day, God said it would be near impossible to find a man seeking or preaching truth. Now, I don't want to sound like a negative Nancy or like a Debbie Downer or anything like that, but because uh, I do believe that truth is marching on and truth is prevailing. There's a great revival that is taking place. But at the same time, there is a very uh, obstinate, uh, uh, resistant force that is aggressive as it was in those days where, you know, Jesus always says that there's going to be uh, uh, many on the way to destruction and few on the path of life everlasting. But there are seasons, there are hours that are different for those that are living for God, where there is uh, an attack, an onslaught against righteousness. And right now it is a public onslaught against righteousness. Hosea 4.1, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. The Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth. God is never pleased with a nation void of truth. Here's God's desire, verse 6 of Psalm 51. Thou desirest truth in the inward part, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. And so God desires his people to have truth in the depths of their heart. And I'm thankful that, you know, we, we come together as a congregation, and you've heard me use this terminology before about the fringe and the core. Uh, and, and I'm thankful for anyone that comes to the house of God. But hearing truth is not enough. Because that's the first ground that Jesus talked about. That's the wayside where the the true word goes forth. It lands on the heart, but it never gets under the crust of the heart. And immediately, no sooner than the word hits, when the door is open and people walk out, the fowl of the air comes down to snatch it. This is why we have to open up ourselves in worship service. When we worship, we're breaking up that fallow ground of our heart as we praise God. We're we're becoming sensitive to him and letting God inhabit. And when our hearts become sensitive in worship, it's, the word is more uh, able to enter into the heart. But it's important for us to recognize the moment someone walks out those doors, as fast as they left and as fast as the enemy's going to come down, we ought to be the more quick about getting to them to make sure that word doesn't get snatched out of them. Because the majority of the, 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 the foregrounds all of them receive it with joy. They receive the word. It, it, it hits them. It touches them. But whether it's fruitful or not, it's going to be up to discipleship. We got to disciple souls. And so 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul told Timothy uh, that the people before the return of Jesus Christ is going to be a people that have so much knowledge but absent of truth. And you want to talk about a day and age where there is such an abundance of knowledge. Anything you need to know, want to know, you can know. Uh, it used to be confined to a limited amount of people that had access to any information. But we are in the information age where it, it pumps out so fast, so quickly. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's amazing. But the knowledge of the truth, there's, there's the irony of it all. That's the mind-blowing thing with all this information, with all this access and yet people don't come to the knowledge of the truth. And so 2 Thessalonians 2.10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. It's about the end times. And um, it says the people that perish is because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Those who die lost will do so because they never fell in love 
with the truth or fell in love for the truth. We have to love, love, love this truth. And, you know, um, if, if, if you hear any preacher come up here and preach something that you've heard before, Oh, I, I, you know, I'm tired of hearing Acts 2.30. I'm tired of hearing about repentance. I'm tired of hearing Jesus' name baptism. I'm tired of hearing about the Holy Ghost. I'm tired. That's not our attitude. We love this truth. And, and if we want people to receive this truth, they got to be around the people that are excited about this truth. And so remember, every service is not always designed for you. It's designed for someone that needs to receive the message that you already received. And so we have the opportunity to create an atmosphere. I love this message. I know I heard it before, but let me hear it again. And uh, I, I have the temperament of when I find a song I like, I play the mess out of that thing. It's like on repeat one all day. I, I can't wear out a song. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she doesn't like me wearing out a song, and I, that's fine. So I'll just wear it out by myself when I'm away. But uh, we should have that kind of temperament about the Word of God. Preach one God message again. Get excited about it again. And no matter if you know that you know that you know, you still can celebrate out of 7 billion people in the world, you know you found the treasure in the field. Someone say amen. And so uh, we must become relentless in our passion and pursuit for truth. And uh, in, your, in your reading of the Bible, you know, when you're going through it, this is truth. And when you're going through it, you know, you should always be looking for some gem, some treasure, something that God can speak to and give you a love for the truth. And remember, deception leads to destruction. Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. So we must not only serve God in sincerity, but it's got to be sincerity and truth because you can be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. One example, uh, it's not a uh, a perfect uh, parable or illustration, but it's a true story. And, uh, you know, I worked for Starbucks for almost 10 years and, uh, we, we had a customer that, very sensitive, they had, what do you call a heart murmur or something like that, heart palpitations or heart pulp or something, whatever, uh, they're heart sensitive. And um, so they're very always adamant about decaf, 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 decaf. And uh, so they, I, 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 and they always wanted, like, you know, they liked when I was on bar because, you know, I would pay attention and, you know, I, I would be respectful, interact with them, make the beverage. And uh, anyways, you know, I, I they said, the same question they ask all the time, is this decaf? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, you betcha now, don't you know? And so I gave them their beverage, and they headed out. Well, they didn't come back for a couple of days. And um, when they came back, I'm like, where have you been? They're like, well, I've been in the hospital. Uh, I, got, I, got, um, I didn't get decaf that day. And so no matter how sincere I was, and I was convinced that I gave them the right beverage, I gave them the wrong beverage. So it is possible to be absolutely convinced that you're doing everything right, but you've done something wrong. And so I don't want to just be sincere. I want to be aware of what I'm sincere about, that this is, this is true, this is real. I, want, I don't want to just you know, fall in line and just go with the flow. I want to find the truth for myself. And this is something when I preach to uh, 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 the younger generation is, if there is a, a missing element in our younger generation, it is personal revelation of this doctrine, of this truth. 
I'm thankful that we have, you know, a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I've even heard of seventh generation people that have been raised in the truth. But for them to be able to expound it for themselves, it's not within the realm of their ability because they've just pretty much have repeated what they've heard, but it's never been revealed to them what they've heard. There has to be a personal revelation. And when I pray for this belt of truth, and, and this, I, I pray the armor of God uh, almost every morning, not every morning, but me, most mornings I will pray on the armor of God. And I, I, I pray, God, I want to love this truth. I want to love it. I want to love it more than anything. And so I want revelation of it. I want to love for it. So how do we learn? How do we find truth? I'm monitoring time. We've got about 12 more minutes here. How do we learn? How do we find truth? First Timothy 3.15, Paul speaking to Timothy, says, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground and of the truth. And so this is where you find the truth, the pillar, the ground of the truth. Now, it's interesting, and you've heard me teach on it before, that he uses two different statements here. You know, we love 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness, God manifests in the flesh. But where is that revelation found? Verse 15. He says, you find the truth, you find this pillar, you find this ground, this foundation in the church of God, uh, which is the house of God, which is the church of God. He says there is a geographical location where the ecclesia, the called out, the separated ones, meet. We know the church is not confined to brick and mortar, but the called out group of people find a location to congregate together so they can get grounded and become a pillar of this truth. And so it's important that we always congregate. We're never to ourselves, And so you can learn and find the truth in church. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you can discern if a church teaches truth by personally studying the word of God. So if you study the word, and God will enable you to rightly divide the word of truth. And, you know, it uses the word of God um, as an example of a sword. You know, you got uh, Hebrews 4.12, and then you got Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the word of God as a sword. But uh, if it's your first time handling a sword, you, you might, you don't know how to handle it. You're not a swordsman. You, you're not skilled at it. It's uncomfortable. It's too heavy. You don't have certain muscles. But the more you handle it, and the more you're around people that have handled it and properly handled it, you yourself can learn how to do so as well. And so truth is not an opposing doctrine to grace. Uh, John 1, 14, the word of God was made flesh, speaking out Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we talk about truth, we're not talking about like, you know, truth and grace are uh, opposite of one another or they're, you, uh, they're separate from one another. Um, grace is not grace in the absence of truth. You can't have grace without truth. And so no matter how much someone can call something grace, it's not grace in the absence of truth. Jesus came coupled with grace and truth. And so if you're going to find, real, really find Jesus, you're going to find grace and you're going to find truth. And so John 1.17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Proverbs 23, 23, we must buy this truth 
and Sela and I, I'm trying to move a little quicker so we could finish up here today so we go on the next piece of armor next week. Uh, also, wisdom, instruction, understanding. So we must go all in and obtain this truth. Uh, we want to get sold out to it. John eight thirty two. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So it's not enough to be around the truth. Somewhere you have to know it. And then freedom is activated. When you know this truth, it will make you free. It will completely set you free. Um, Galatians 4.16, another uh, thing about the truth is Paul says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And Jesus said it like this in John 8.45, Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And there's no greater preacher teacher in my estimation, though I've never been on site with them, uh, but reading everything they've said, documented in the Scripture, uh, the effects of Paul and Jesus, nobody has superseded them. Uh, the, the best preacher, the best teacher, uh, the best ministry. And so they themselves, with true truth, had opposition, had rejection. If everybody likes you, if everybody agrees with you, if everybody is always on the same page as you, then there's probably something off. Okay, because Jesus was rejected for truth. He says, he says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And Paul says, look, why am I becoming your enemy? Simply because I'm telling you the truth. And so just realize truth will have rejection. But we do not gauge truth by others response. Okay, and that's that's the tough thing. And that's uh, one of the greatest battles that I have uh, faced here in the past 14 years uh, in Watertown is is when people see the truth and receive the truth with joy and, and they receive the revelation, all that stuff. And when they when they see their friends and their family and all of a sudden the overwhelming uh, weight that comes upon their heart and their mind, their emotion that they see, well, you know, well, what about grandma? What about grandpa? What about my friends? What about so and so? So they, they haven't been baptized in Jesus name. They haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, the response of others not believing it weighs in on whether how true or not true something is or how literal to take it. And so we always have to be careful of that. Doesn't mean we have to be mean spirited. Uh, was it, um, it's, it's, I think, Ephesians 5. Uh, or 419 possibly, uh, basically where it says to speak the truth in love. And so you could, you could speak the truth without love, uh, but you can't, you can't speak love without truth. If you really love somebody, you're going to give them truth. And we have to make sure that every time we present truth, it is in the most loving, merciful way possible. Now, there's times, and we're not going to get into it, but there's times where truth ends up having to confront something, and there's resistance, and there's, there's a rebellious spirit. And Paul, you read all through his writings where he has to bring judgment. He has to bring rebukes. And, but it's never the, the, the first thing to do, you know, to try to prove a point to someone. We lovingly want to give truth. Why? Because the truth makes somebody free, and we want people to be free. Proverbs sixteen six: By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So sin can only be dealt with if truth is part of the process. And, uh, you know, if we, if we always make truth the last thing that we present to somebody, uh, they're still going to remain in their sin. 
And I, I've seen the approach, t- and I've been guilty of it because, you know, I've tried every method and approach I possibly can to try to reach people. And, you know, uh, Brother Jimmy Tony says it like this. You know, he said when uh, the first number of years in the church, he tried the, the roundabout way where he see the landing pad with somebody, but he just kept circling the plane and circling the plane and circling the plane before he finally get to the landing and uh, then he realized after all that time circling the plane and getting to the landing, you know, it ended up nowhere anyways, where he should have just... He should have just been more upfront with them about the truth. This is who we are. This is what we believe. Again, not being mean-spirited, but if you keep dancing around the issue so long, you know, if you finally get to what this is all about, you might have wasted a lot of time because you didn't get upfront with them or they were maybe more open and receptive in the beginning because they were hungry, they were repenting. We have to give people truth. Proverbs 22 or, or 16, 6. Yeah, I said that uh, part of the process. 22 and 1. Uh, that I may make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. So we have to know the truth to share the truth. It's, it's, it's the only way. Um, other words, you know, we, we become dependent upon maybe one or two figures, uh, you know, three, four, whatever, however many people teach Bible studies. We, we, we say, well, that's the person that you need to talk to about this. No, you have the opportunity to yourself bring the truth. Just, just a, man, we're not going to finish. One, one, one thought to think about, and um, uh, a friend of Brother Landon Gore shared this. He shared like a, a short little sermon clip. Uh, with me about a, and I, I'm, I didn't plan on saying it, so I probably won't remember it just right. But it was a man making a point about uh, what would we say about somebody that was a mechanic for 30 years, and then somebody wants to learn that trade, and that mechanic says, "Well, uh, I, I really don't know much. I, I really can't. I can't really teach anything. I'm, you know, like what would we think about that? But how many Christians been in the church for 30 years? And they're like, well, you know, I really, you know, I, I, you know, I just believe. I don't know how to really tell you. So we all are Christians. It's not one person's responsibility, you know, to know how to answer the questions. We have the opportunity to have a relationship with God, relationship with his word, and learn how to communicate it our way. Because each of us have a different temperament, personality, approach, method. And you, just repeating how someone else teaches something doesn't always work. It's, it's got to be part of you, part of your DNA, your personality. Because you could, you could tell when a salesperson uh, actually believes it. Or it's just the spiel, you know, that they're just spouting off to you. I, I want someone that actually believes what they're selling, believes what they're presenting. And that's uh, what needs to be a part of us with this truth. John uh, four twenty four. God is a spirit. They that worship must worship in spirit and truth. So our worship must be more than just passion and spirit. It must be in truth. And uh, I, I'm very thankful that um, worship, uh, they call it worship style, you know, and they have traditional service and modern service, contemporary service. And uh, I, I understand what they mean, but really uh, uh, the Pentecostal style of worship or what we would say biblical style of worship was frowned upon for so long, but now it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a style, it's modern, it's contemporary, it's, it's engaging, it's desirable. And, uh, and I'm thankful that people have become more open to it. But the problem is it's just become something that is spiritual and passionate. But the absence of truth still leaves people remaining where they're at. And though their heart is being worked on, 
if the truth never gets planted in that atmosphere, it's just a heart that's just going to keep getting worked over until it actually becomes almost like uh, numb, numb to uh, the, the presence of God and the truth of God's word. And so we don't want to miss that. And so I'm thankful that the culture is changing, but truth always has to be presented. It's not enough just to have passionate worship. And so what good is worship with the wrong object of worship? Uh, John eighteen thirty eight. I got two minutes left and we'll dismiss here. Pilate said unto him, what is truth? What is truth? And that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I don't really know the answer, whether he was um, being kind of a jerk about it, like just kind of mocking what's truth. Or if he actually had some genuine inquiry. I've heard people argue it both ways. But ultimately, it is a question to be asked. And it is important that we find out how to discern what truth is. And there's some ways to def, uh, discern whether what truth is. First John 2.21, Paul, uh, John said, I haven't written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. So for something to be true, it cannot have any non-truths to it. It has to be 100% true for it to be true. And so uh, one of the, the greatest tools that we have is John 17.17. 17, Jesus alludes to it is that we sanctify them through thy truth, or literally, you make holiness through truth. Thy word is truth. There is no holiness without truth. There is no completeness without truth. There is no purification without truth. The word is truth. The word is what's forever settled and unchanging. And this is our basis and foundation for truth, is the word of God. And so everything has to be based about this out of this book. And this is why... We have to have personal Bible reading lives, personal Bible daily devotion. We got to get it for ourselves because you got to fact check. You know, we we're blessed that we have an evangelist here today. And when he gets up here and starts preaching, you know, let's get behind him, let's amen him, and all that good stuff. But I hope you're fact checking him because I do it the entire time. Anytime someone's preaching, I'm fact checking. I'm 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 like I read this book and I'm I'm listening because I, I want to be able to discern what's true, what's of God, what's not of God. I remember I was at a, a, a large gathering, and it was a, um, a, a an event hosted by um, the headquarters of the Pentecostal Church, and, and it was a youth meeting, and this preacher made a statement, and I was like, that's not accurate. And so after service, I, I, I went and found him, and I, so I ended up being that guy, but not to be a jerk. I, I, I kind of knew him, and we just kind of, you know, engaged some conversation. I was like, so you said this statement. So what about, I just have a question, what about this verse, and what about this verse? And he's like, Oh, I never thought about that. I said, well, maybe think about that before you present something like that. Anyways, moving on. Let's, uh, we'll stop right there, and we'll pick up next week. Let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And I pray, God, in this day, in this age that we are living in, where uh, it's, it's the mantra where everyone's challenging everything. People are calling this fake news and that fake news, and this is false, and people talk about fact-checking. I pray we, the church, Lord, are so into the truth, God, that we not only love, not only hear it, but we also love it. And not only love it, God, but we are able to share it. We know it, God. I want to know this truth. I want to love this truth, and I want it to be the first thing, God, I put on. I want to be not only an honest person, but I want to love this truth and share this truth. And someone saying, Jesus' name.